Amen, amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse number 3. The Word of God says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now, a lot of people don't realize that, but the, the war that is going on around us is oftentimes bombarding you before you even realize it. How many of you know that's the worst kind of battle to get in? You get hit so fast you don't even realize what happened yet. And then you have to kind of get this self-awareness going on. Well, whenever we're beginning to wage war as Christians in the flesh, we're not discerning what's going on in the spirit. The enemy is hitting us seven different ways, and we're looking the eighth different way. When, when Christians are operating in the mode of the flesh, we are opening ourselves up to just be used by the enemy any which way. And what we see in our own lives is when we're walking in the spirit, we're walking in victory, but when we're walking in the flesh, we're walking in defeat every single time. And so it's important for us to see that there is a war that is going on, but it's not after the flesh. God never asked you to pick up a hammer and go hit your enemy. He asked you to wage war on your knees for your enemy, to love your enemy, to pray for your enemy, and to see that they are saved. That's how the kingdom operates. And yet, over and over and over, we look at people in the carnal, in the flesh, as our enemy. So notice what happens here. We There is a war. Not many people say hallelujah for that one. There is a war, but the war is not according to the flesh. It is a spiritual battle. So here we see something. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, the weapons of our warfare not being carnal, that just simply means that whenever we see a carnal battle, whenever we see a carnal battle, you have to recognize there is a spirit behind it. When you see the things going on in our world and in our generation, there is a spirit behind it. There is a reason why people are trying to manipulate currency. There's a reason why people are manipulating borders. The, the people are the globalist movement. There's a spirit behind those things. It's not those people that are the enemy. It is the spirit behind those agendas that are seeking to establish uh, rule and reign over Christians. So here we see that there are there is a warfare, there are weapons. Now, this I want you to pay attention to, verse 5. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is something I want you to see, that we're called to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. No matter how strong you are, no matter how much you know, no matter how much church you go to, no matter how much worship music you have playing in your car, no matter any of that, if you're not offensively taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, you will succumb to worldly thoughts. You have to be on that offensive where those thoughts are coming in you have to take those things captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now, what we're talking about is those thoughts that come into our mind. Those are the, the things that the enemy uses to wear down saints. 
The enemy will use the thought life to begin to wear down saints. He will attack you in the thought life quite often, more than any other way. It is in the mind that the enemy will begin to wear down the strongest of saints. He will begin to plant thoughts in there. And when you allow an ungodly thought to be harbored in your mind, it will inevitably get into your heart, and then it will inevitably manifest in your life. See, the, the enemy plants those thoughts, and if you allow something that's ungodly to stay there, it will manifest. It will manifest one way or another. And we're going to go through a lot of these in this message today, but we have to be on our toes. We have to be on guard when things come into our minds or into our hearts that are not right and are not of God. We must stand at attention and take those things captive. Now, I want to show you how we do that in a little bit, but the number one area where we see Christians, where we see saints hit and where we see them fall and where we see them fail is in the thought life when they begin to get off track. Now, once somebody, once somebody gets off track in their thought life, you can't tell them anything. Once somebody gets off track, you might as well be talking to the wall. It takes, it takes a work of the spirit to get their heart back. Once the thought life has been corrupted, it takes a work of the Spirit to get us back where we need to be. And it's that way in all of our lives. I want to show you today that, that God calls us to have a renewed mind. God calls us to have a renewed mind for a reason, because the, the world and the system of the world and the enemy of your soul is desiring to wear down your mind. His desire is to wear down the mind of the saint. And we see that God's call on our lives is to have a renewed mind. So that means that we are continually to go back to the throne of grace, continually go back to Calvary, continually be reminded of who we are, continually be reminded of how great God is, and continually be reminded of the battle before us. So here we see that in this battle, the one thing where we are called to get involved in. If you'll notice, he says that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. It's not a carnal battle that you're in, but you have to be aware when thoughts begin to get planted in your mind. Sometimes you'll be praying and you'll be thinking things that you don't want anybody to know about. You, you might be praying or you might even be worshiping and ungodly thoughts just begin to flood your heart and your mind. You have to get in, in the in the uh, tradition of saying, Lord, this is ungodly. I don't know where that thing came from, but I bind it in the name of Jesus Christ. I curse that thing, and I, I don't want anything to do with it in Jesus' name. And once you begin to get in that habit of taking those thoughts captive, arrest them. Just like a police officer, when he sees a, a car rolling down the road without a license plate, he knows to go after it. In the same way, when you see a thought coming into your mind and it's not from God, you need to go and grab hold of that thing and, and get it out. Because what we don't want is to harbor ungodly thoughts. They, the, uh, the Lord tells us here in this passage that we're called to take these things captive. If we don't do that, we're, number one, disobedient to God. But number two, God has a purpose for telling us that. 
Because no matter how strong you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how much of the word you know, you can be misled when you hold on to ungodly thoughts. The strongest of the strong can be misled. We must have our minds renewed by God. So I'll show you that in, in, if you'll go over with me to Romans chapter 12, I'll show you this. In Romans chapter 12, the, the apostle Paul gets into this. There's a reason why God wants us to keep our minds renewed. The reason is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world and the fallen world is bombarding us. The fallen world is bombarding us that, that faith is not real. The, the fallen world is bombarding us with, with lies and satanic agendas and despair and depression and darkness. The fallen world that you live in is trying to suck the life of God out of you. And if you're not going to God with, and getting that mind renewed, those ungodly thoughts will take hold. They will take hold. If you look around, there's probably people that you know that once served God and now are not. At one point, they had ungodly things come into the mind and they harbored them and they either acted on them or they felt guilty about them and they were led astray. All around us, it happens to the best of the best. Now, Romans chapter 12, look in, in verse number one, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'll just point out here, this is not the main part I want to get, but I will point this out, that you are called to present your bodies a living sacrifice. That means you as a new creation, you no longer have the right to think what you want to think. You surrendered that. When you surrendered all to the Lord, you surrendered that. You have given your life over to God, and now the life of God is supposed to be manifesting in our lives. But what we see time and time and time again is when we get in those lulls and when we get in those places that we're not supposed to be in, it's because we've allowed the fallen world and the thoughts of the fallen world to just begin to wear us down. So look here in verse number two. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, number one, the conforming right here is what is bombarding against you. To conform simply means to make it resemble. To make it resemble, if, if something conforms to something else, it is made to resemble. So the world's desire is to make you look like it. The world's desire is to make you not have hope because it doesn't have hope. The world's desire is to make you lose the joy because it doesn't have joy. The world's desire is to disturb your peace because the world doesn't have peace. The, the world's desire is to rob you from walking in love because it doesn't have love. It wants you to resemble it. 
The world wants you to conform to its way. Don't get hopeful. Don't get joyful. Don't get peaceful. Don't get loving because the world is none of those. And when those fruits of the Spirit begin manifesting in you and they begin manifesting in your life and you begin exhibiting the Spirit of God in your life, the world will seek to put you back in your place. And if you're not taking those evil thoughts captive, you'll begin to take the bait of the world. You'll begin to take the bait of those thoughts. Now, what I said was that we're bombarded by worldliness on every side. We're bombarded by worldliness on every side. We are bombarded uh, because we live in that fallen world, and you have to make that choice whether you're going to listen to the fallen world or the faithful word of God. You have to make that choice on who is going to have the supremacy of your thought life. Some of us, we, we don't get into the word of God like we should, and we suffer the consequences for it. But at some point in time, we have to make that choice whether we're going to listen to the world or the word, one, uh, one or the other. But how many of you know God's not going to allow us to play 50-50 on that? God's not going to allow us to play 50-50 on that. He's not going to allow us to stay in a place of lukewarmness, a place of conformity where we're playing on both sides. But he's looking for people that will come out of the world and into his word. Now here we see that the conforming that's going on, it's desiring to make you, listen to this, acceptable to its standards. You know, the, the world is not going to bother you as long as you accept what it accepts. As long as you accept the new transgender LGBT, as long as you accept the, you know, we don't know which bathroom we're supposed to use, as long as you accept, you know, that it's okay to get drunk when you want to get drunk, as long, as long as you accept the standards of the world, it's not going to bother you. The conformity is to get you to conform to its standards, to be acceptable to it. Listen, if, if we're acceptable to the world, we've lost our saltiness. If we are acceptable to the world, we've lost the light. We've lost the glory. We've lost the salt. There's nothing left there. We're going to be acceptable one or the other. We're either going to be acceptable to God or we're going to be acceptable to the world. Now, we have to make those choices. And and the way that the world begins to get us to waver is in our thought life. But this conforming that takes place is a wearing down of our standards. A church can't allow its standards to waver. A Christian can't allow its standards to waver. Once we begin to to backpedal, the enemy pushes. Once you allow the enemy to get you going backwards in one area, he'll come at you seven more areas. Once you begin to watch, you know, what you know you shouldn't watch, you'll begin to listen to what you shouldn't listen, and then you'll begin to speak what you shouldn't speak, then you'll begin to do what you shouldn't do, go where you shouldn't go, and then you'll begin finding yourself back in that place that God brought you out of, and you'll be more blind than you ever were at the beginning. So the conformity, it, it comes upon Christians. The world's not getting the world to conform. It's already got it. If somebody's not living for God, the world is not getting the world to conform. It's trying to get Christians. 
And here we see an important thing about conforming. Now, uh, there's an old story about conforming, and, you know, the enemy's never satisfied. You, you, you begin to do, you begin to watch something that you know you shouldn't watch. The enemy's not satisfied with that. I'll just watch it one time. I'll just do it one time. I'll just go there one time, and then it, it'll begin making inroads in our lives. There's a, an old story about a guy who, um, he was going to sell some fish. And, and this story tells us, you know, how the world will get you to conform. You can't please you can't please it. You have to have standards. But he said he, he sold fish and he put up a sign that said, uh, fresh fish sold to, today. Fresh fish for sale today. And somebody came and they said, well, um, why, are you, why does your sign say that you're selling fish today? Everybody knows it's today if they're seeing the sign. So he changed it. He just put fresh fish for sale. And the next person came and said, well, why are you saying they're for sale? What else would you be doing with it? So he just said, fresh fish. Change the sign again. Then the next person said, well, why'd you say fresh fish? Because, you know, you might give somebody the wrong impression because they might not be exactly fresh. Then he just said fish. And then somebody walked by and said, well, why'd you say fish? Because if it's fish, we could smell it, you know. Is it, and, but the point is, once you begin conforming and once you begin allowing people to dictate to you how things are supposed to be and you begin to backtrack, the enemy will just never stop. He, once he gets a little toehold in your life and you allow it to sit there, he'll begin to make inroads. And we see this in our thought life is how it starts. It, our thought life. Well, I don't have to read the word of God. I don't have to read the Word of God today. I went to church. It was a common tactic. I went to church yesterday. I don't have to pray today. I, I don't have to go to church Wednesday. I went on Sunday. I don't have to go witnessing. I went to church. I, well, I gave a little bit extra, so I don't have to give. I don't have to, you know, do. It's always, it starts in the thought life that, you know, when we talk about backsliding and we talk, we talk about losing the fire of God in our lives, it always starts in the thought life. The enemy makes the most inroads not in the physical manifestations, not outwardly. The enemy's not going to come at you with a pitchfork in a red suit and a tail and say, I'm about to steal the fire out of you. He comes at you quietly in the night with a whisper. That whisper will get into your ear, down into your heart, and you'll begin to go backwards before you even know it if you're not taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So we have to make a choice whether we're going to live by God's standard or by the world's, whether we're going to be acceptable to it or acceptable to him. And I don't know about you, but I would rather be acceptable to God. I would rather the world be displeased with me than God. At the end of my life, I do not want the world clapping for me in acceptance. I want them clapping, saying, I'm glad he's gone. But we have to make that choice whether we're going to be acceptable to God or the world. You can't do both. You can't do both. Don't let the devil lie to you. You Don't let the devil lie to you. There is no half and half. You're never going to hear the applause of Hollywood and God at the same time. Get that out of your mind. That's an ungodly thought. You're not going to be popular with the world and with heaven. 
It's one or the other. And so when a church begins to conform, we'll begin to take on worldly manifestations. We'll begin to take on worldly appearances. We'll begin to do things that the world does. Why? The thought in our mind that we're not acceptable to the world and we must change. Once we begin to go down that road as a church, we've lost that anointing of God. We've lost what God has given us, that consecration, that which makes it special. But in our personal lives, it's the same way. In our personal lives, God never asks you to backtrack off of his word. He never asks you to backtrack off the fire of God. He never asks you to backtrack off of being excited about being saved. He never asks you to backtrack off those things. It is the world that gets you to back off those things. Don't get too excited. Don't get too carried away. If you clap too loud, you'll stick out like a sore thumb. You know, the world wants to take the fire and the excitement and the love out of you. It plants those thoughts in there. It plants those thoughts in there, and those thoughts grow. Those thoughts will just begin to grow. They get bigger and bigger and bigger. They'll begin to take root in our lives. But I want you to know, God has a plan. His plan is to have our minds renewed. Now, you can't renew your own mind. Just get that out. You can't do it yourself. It takes the Spirit of God to renew it. And you can't renew what's not been made new. So don't go around asking somebody that's not saved to have a renewed mind. They have to first have a new mind. They first have to be made new in Christ. So you can't ask somebody that's in the world to put on perfume and act godly when they're not. You, you can't expect that. The, the world's going to act like the world, talk like the world, smell like the world, but the saints aren't. The saints are supposed to act like saints, talk like saints, look like saints. We're called to a different standard. Now, we're called to be salt and light in this world. And in order to do that, we're going to have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You know, when, when we're talking about renewing, this is what's a, a beautiful thing. When we're talking about renewing, it says that it transforms us. You see that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is so beautiful because it's from that place of the mind that God does the most work in our lives. Once we begin to set our minds upon God, God will begin to do a new work in us. This renewal that takes place is when God restores the joy of our salvation. You know, it takes a work of God to do that. God can get you excited about something, and God can get you to that place where you remember that he didn't have to love you. He didn't have to shed his blood for you. He didn't have to forgive you. He didn't have to give you grace. He didn't have to give you mercy, but he did. And once we begin to go down that road and we begin to think on those things and God will begin to renew us and restore us and we'll begin to get new strength again in our lives. Now there's a couple of things that I want to talk about this renewing. What, what happens? Sometimes in our lives we get stagnant. Sometimes no matter how strong or how bold or how much what your title is in church, the best saints will often get stagnant. Stagnant is when you just you, you feel like you're walking in in, in in mud. 
You feel like you're walking in quicksand. You're not getting anywhere. You're not gaining any traction. And everything you do, it's the same result. Nothing ever changes. The same thing over and over and over. You kind of get stagnant. You lose the fire of God. This is when the enemy begins to do his work because nothing's ever stagnant with God. If you think about even in Moses' life, Moses had to spend 40 years on the backside of the desert, but he was faithful because when God appeared to him in the burning bush, he went after God. And so many times when we get stuck in a season, we lose that excitement. We lose that expectation of faith. What would, what would have happened in Moses' life if he would have lost that faithful excitement and expectation? He would have just seen that burning bush and turned the other way. But he went toward it. He went toward God. Now, in our own lives, we, we get stagnant. We come to a place where I, I call it an, an impasse of faith. An impasse of faith is where you just get stuck. You just get stuck. Don't feel bad. The best saints often get there. It's how you get out of that. It's how you get out of that that's important. Listen, God said renew your mind. You can do it. God's got to do it. But you have to give yourself to God. I'm going to show you how we do this in a minute. But I want you to see this. The renewing is essential. Without the renewing, you will stop. Without the renewing, you'll stop. You'll allow these things to begin to manifest and grow in your heart. Now, here's a couple of things that we develop. This is just how the world gets on you. Number one is stinking thinking. You'll begin, you'll begin to think negative. You'll begin to think it's hopeless. You'll begin to think depression. You'll begin to think despair. The, the, the world will bombard you so much to where you'll begin to develop stinking thinking. That, that means you'll begin to think all hope is lost. Nothing's ever going to change. Nobody's ever going to help me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. Nobody's with me. All hope is lost. You'll begin to get despair written all over you because you've allowed those thoughts to make inroads in your life. This stinking thinking is, is really, um, it's really hard. Once you allow those things to get in there, it's really hard to overcome. It takes a work of God to overcome depression. It takes a work of God. It's not easy. If you know somebody that battles depression, pray for them because it takes a work of God to get out of that valley. It takes a work of God because you, you just, you don't feel like doing anything because deep down, you know, it doesn't help anything. It's a lie from the pit of hell to keep Christians at bay. The other thing is we get into a place where, where it's just stale, where we just begin to develop worldly thoughts, where we just begin to think about things in carnal ways. When we begin to care more about what we wear with our clothes, that, you know, whenever we come to church, we're more, we, we spend more time getting our clothes ready than getting our hearts ready. It's when we've gotten stale as Christians. We spend more time looking at the color of the walls, looking at the color of the carpet, looking at this and worrying about that than bringing a right heart before God. We used to have this saying in the church that I got saved in. It said, come, uh, come prayed, prayed up. Come prayed up to church. They didn't want you to come to church unless you was prayed up. They didn't want you to come to church, you know, just blah, blah, blah. They wanted you to come prayed up, ready to see God move. 
And when, when more and more and more of the church comes prayed up, you'll see that church begin walking in victory. But sometimes we just allow those stale thoughts to get in, and we just kind of allow that worldly carnal tendencies just to take root in our lives. And then the other one is selfish. They all have S's, by the way. The, the, the other one is selfish thinking. You know what that is? That's called meatus. You know that from Sister Pat. It's meatus. That, that meatus is whenever it's all about me. Selfish thinking is how many times do we see that? In, and don't look to the left or right. Just look at your own self, right? How many times do our own selves, everything's about us? Well, I don't like that song. I wish they'd stop singing that song. Why well, pastor preaching about that again? I, he knows I don't like that. It's always about us. We're not considering the fact that people pray and that the Spirit's leading them so that hearts are touched. We're, it's all about how it affects us, not how it affects souls. And so a lot of times a church or a Christian can get stuck when we let me-itis set in, when we begin to think about how things affect us more than how things affect the people of God, how things affect the, the, the work that God is doing, we will get stuck. The best of the best. You can have the, you can have the, the Sunday school superintendent get stuck in me-itis. You can have pastors get stuck in me-itis. You can have the best of the best because we'll begin to just, and, and it's just a whisper from the enemy. It's just a little whisper from the enemy to say, well, nobody asked you what you thought about that color. And you'll go, well, that's right. Nope. Uh, how dare they? I've been attending this church for 17 years and nobody asked me about the color of the carpet. You'll begin to get meitis real quick and it, it will cause an offense. It's just a little whisper from the enemy that will begin to, to distract you from what God's doing. It's a little one, just a little one. And you know what? It, it, that could be the last thought on everybody's mind. Maybe they intended to leave you out, but it don't, big deal. Don't let it stop you from being who God's called you to be. If they want to leave you out, let them. You're better off for it. If they, it look, if people in church want to leave you out, don't worry about it. Because they ain't right. So you're better off. So you just got to let those things go and make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do. Make sure you're walking the walk that God has for the saints of God. Don't let ungodliness make you ungodly. Don't let those things from the world get in you. You're called to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Say, well, that was an ungodly thing to do, Lord. But you know what? I forgive them because I'm not going to bite on that. I'm not going to get offended on that. I'm not going to take the bait of the devil. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do according to the Spirit of God. Meitis will get the best of the best Christians stuck. <laughs> So how do we begin to get into this place where we get renewed? Well, here's something important I want you to understand. Why? Why another reason? You know, you ever heard that saying that uh, flies never settle on boiling water? You ever heard that saying? You never see it. You never see a fly settle on a boiling water. You know why? They just don't do it. You, now, if you, if you eat some chips and one falls on the ground, a fly will get on that. You'll get on something that's fallen down on the ground that's stale. But a boiling pot of water, a fly won't sit on. 
in, in our own lives, we're called to be boiling over for God. We're called to be on fire for God. We're supposed to have a fresh anointing, a fresh fire in our soul, in our spirit. And look, God's not on vacation. God's not on vacation. He hasn't stopped baptizing people in the Holy Ghost. He hasn't stopped creating excitement in his people. Even in the worst situations, humanly possible, God still stirs them up in their spirit. And so it's possible for you to get stirred up even if you feel like you're in mundaneville. Even if you feel like you're in boringville, even if you feel like nothing's ever going to change and nothing's ever going to be different, even if you feel like you're stuck, I want you to know God has not gone on vacation. He is still ministering to souls today. And if we'll get in our mind that we're called to move forward, we're called to move forward to be boiling over with the Spirit of God, then we won't see these ungodly thoughts begin to manifest. Now, if you'll turn with me to Psalm 139, I want to show you how we can be renewed. To be renewed is, is simply to prevent backsliding. Simply to prevent backsliding. It purifies us. It purifies us. It prevents backsliding, and it's made possible by the Spirit of God. Now, here in this passage in Psalm 139, we're going to go down to verse number 23. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me. When was the last time you prayed that? It's a dangerous prayer. When, when, when we have things in our lives that aren't supposed to be there, that's a dangerous prayer. If, if you're willing to let everything go, that's a beautiful prayer. One of my favorite ways to learn how to worship at the church I got saved at, they, they said that in, in the Hebrew culture, they would worship with their palms up sometimes. They would worship with their palms up, just hands like that, palms up. And, and what it did is it represented two things. N- number one is it's, it's a place of surrender. It's you're most vulnerable when your palms are up. You're most vulnerable right there. But secondly, I'm, I'm empty in my hands. You can see everything that I have. I'm not hiding anything. I'm exposing everything. I'm not keeping anything back. I'm letting it all go. And so when, when you see this first phrase, search me, that, that just is that here I am. I'm giving myself to you. I'm not withholding anything. There's nothing in my life that I'm not willing to let go of. If you tell me that I need to turn off the TV, if you tell me that I need to change the way I dress, if you tell me I need to change the way I talk, it, it don't matter. I'm not going to get offended because I want you. So search me, God. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get bitter. Here's all of me because I want all of you. Search me. It's a prayer that people with things in their life that they don't want to let go of will not pray. Will not pray. Search me. It says in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See, God knows those things already. I want you to know that. I want you to know already God knows your heart 
and he knows your thoughts. But what is he looking for? As you see this passage and you reflect on it, meditate on it, why would somebody pray, God, search my heart when you already know it? It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of coming to the Lord and emptying out the closet of the heart. Look, God already knows all things. God knows what you're going to do five minutes from now. You don't even know what you're going to do five minutes from now. God already knows because he's already there. He's omnipresent. He's in your past, your present, and your future all at the same time. He already knows what you're going to do in five minutes. You don't. So he already knows what's in your heart. He already knows what's in there. Why pray this? A prayer of surrender. A prayer of surrender. Giving God my heart. Saying, Lord, here it is. I'm not holding it back. Think about whenever Adam sinned in the garden. God comes down in the cool of the day to the garden, and God says, Adam, where are you? Did God not know where Adam was? He obviously knew where he was. He's God. He knows where you're at. He knows if you're giving your heart to him or not. He knows if you're praying or not. He knows if you're on fire or backslidden or not. He knows. You can lie to everybody else, but you can't lie to God. He knows. So what is this prayer? It's the same thing as Adam. When Adam said, here I am. Adam could have stayed hid behind the bush and never spoken again to God. And you know a lot of Christians are right there. A lot of Christians may have done something they shouldn't have done or thought a thought they shouldn't have thought, and they got stuck behind that bush. And God said, hey, Christian, where are you? And they didn't say a word. They're just stuck, stuck. A lot of times we see this, you know, when you talk about Adam, we were like, oh, Adam sinned. But look, Adam came out. When God called, Adam said, here I am. And that's one of the most important qualities we can look for in our own lives. To say, you know what, I don't want to sin like Adam sinned. But at least if I ever get into that place, Lord, and and I'm not where I need to be, at least I can get that heart that says, Lord, I messed up, search me, try me, here's my heart. I might have done this, but I want you. So this searching is a place of surrender. And I want to encourage you. This is the place where renewal begins. I want to encourage you right now. This is the place that it, that renewal begins. If you're backslidden, if things are stale, if you've gotten into meitis, or if you've gotten more caught up in what you wear than how your heart is that you're bringing into God, if you've gotten caught up in any of those things, it starts right here. It starts at a place of surrender. Saying, God, here I am. Search me. You can have me. You can open up every door, every nook, every cranny of my heart. There's nothing that I would rather hold on to than to hold on to you. So we have to get to that place, right? We have to get to that place. I told a story one time that whenever, um, or, or, you know, when first-time parents, you don't know what you're doing, right? But I remember whenever our first kid was trying to learn how to walk, and she, she wouldn't let go of the wall. You know, she wouldn't let go of the wall at all for no reason. 
But you know, you got to let go of the wall in order to walk. And I'll never forget, there was a time she was holding on to the chair or something, and she had it, and she was stretched out. She had that leg as stretched as far as she could go, had that arm way back. And, you know, we were just, you know, maybe six inches away, just, you know, come on, just let go, let go, and take a step, and come here. And, you know, but some Christians, some Christians, there's something in our closet, something in our thought life, something in our past, we're just not willing to let go of. And until we're willing to let go of, we'll never be able to walk in the Spirit. We'll never be who God has intended us to be. We'll never fulfill the anointing that God has on our lives. We'll never fulfill that commission until we're willing to let go of who we were, willing to let go of what happened, willing to let go of where we've been and what we've done and be who God makes us to be. God will make all things new, but he needs a completely surrendered vessel. God will make all things new. So in order to be renewed, you've got to be willing to let the old man go. And that's that first part of this. Search me, God. Search me. Search me, Lord. When, when honestly, ask yourself, when was the last time that you honestly asked the Holy Spirit to search you? You know, the Holy Spirit's got a bright flashlight. You ask the Lord to search you, he's going to hone in on something. Is that okay? Is that okay? If, if you honestly ask the Holy Spirit to search you, know that that bride flashlight's going to come to that where that wound is. He's going to come where that issue is. Are you willing to let that go? Are you willing to get healed? Do you know that there's a balm in Gilead? Do you know that God can heal that wound? Do you know that the best place a broken heart can go to is the arms of the heart that created it? Is the arms of God, the one that created your heart, that's the best place you can take a broken heart to. Best place. And yet, you know, listen, this searching, this searching is the first part. That's just the first part. And know that it's the Holy Spirit that searches. It's the Holy Spirit. Look at the next part. It says, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Allowing the searching of the Spirit will help you to see that there are things that you've taken in that you should have taken captive of. Sometimes in our lives, we will allow things to come into our thought life and get planted into our hearts when we should have taken it captive years ago, but we've allowed it to remain. And so this prayer says, God, show me. Show me if there's any wicked thing in me, anything in me that's not of you, and then don't just let it stay there, but lead me in the right path. Lead me in the path of everlasting. That, that is, Lord, help me to see how to get out of this. How, let me see where to take this. And I want you to know we're on the right side of the cross. We, we know where to take our burdens. We know where to take our shame. We know where to take our sin. We know where to take our issues. And that is to Calvary. That is to come in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ at Calvary. And God will cleanse you of those sins. And God will give you a new heart. And God will renew you. This, honestly, is the breaking of the fallow ground in our lives. You see, all of us, over time, will begin to get hardened. 
You do the same thing 20 times in a row, it becomes a habit. But God shouldn't be like that. It should always be new. It should always be fresh. But if you, if you come into church and you clap the first two songs, wave hands the second two songs, and then kneel down on the fifth song, and you do that 20, 20 Sundays in a row, it'll become habitual. You'll do it, right? Just like how a, a, a mouse goes to the cheese. You'll, you'll just do it instead of doing it out of the heart of worship. And so it takes God making a new heart and a clean heart in all of us to make things to where they're not repetitive, to make it to where it's new every time. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And so we need that new heart. What I'm saying is this is how fallowed ground begins to get broken up. The, the fallow ground in our lives, that's the, you know, that the Lord says in Mark chapter 4, that our hearts are ground. Our hearts are soil. Some of us have hard soil. Some of us have th- thorny soil. Some of us have, you know, good soil. Some of us have rocky soil. But when the word of God gets planted in our lives, it's not dependent on the word of God whether the harvest comes. It's dependent on what type of soil it lands on. That's why so many times you'll see in a church, you'll see the same word given and you'll see different responses because there's different types of soil. So here, notice this, fallow ground. We need our fallow ground broken up in order to grow. There will be no godly growth unless the fallow ground is first broken up. Some of us don't have that urgency. Some of us don't have that desire. Some of us don't have that, that expectation that God can make all things new. Some of us just don't have that. And we need that sense of urgency and expectation that God can and will make all things new when we surrender our lives to God again. And once we begin to do that, once God begins to search us, then that fallow ground will start breaking up, and then we'll start coming to God with the heart of faith again. We'll start coming to God and believing that all things are possible again. And then we'll begin to say, you know what? God is good. Even in the season that I'm in, God is good. Because once that fallow ground begins to get broken up, we'll begin to see God in everything. We'll begin to see God in everything. A couple of things I want you to see is that the, the, the unrenewed mind is going to stay in a place of criticalness. The unrenewed mind, no matter how much Bible trivia you know, if you're not allowing the Spirit of God to search you and renew you, one of the default positions is to be critical, to, cr- to criticize. Why? Why is it that way? That's how the devil was. That's how the devil was. Once you allow the devil to get into your thought life, you'll begin to criticize people too. To be critical is one of those areas that, you know, when we're not walking as we should in that renewed mind, we begin, we begin to get very critical very quickly to, to be critical. That is, you know what? Well, I, I wouldn't do it that way. I wouldn't do it that way. You know, if they really cared, they would do this and they would do this and they would do that. Well, you know what? They might. But God is good. 
in spite of what they do or don't do. We say a song, he's a lily in my valley. I mean, God is good in every season. God is good on the, on the good days and the bad days. Every, everybody on earth might forsake you, but I promise you, God will be beautiful to you. If you'll, if you'll keep that heart surrendered to God, everybody else may leave you, but God won't. Everybody else may mock you or laugh at you. Everybody else may turn on you and turn against you. Everybody else may hope that you fall flat on your face, but God don't. You'll be a lily in that valley to you. But you have to, you have to keep your heart surrendered to God or you'll get critical. You'll get bitter. You'll begin to wage war according to the carnal. And it'll take you off track of what God wants to do in your life. So one thing that we all need is to be renewed. One thing that we all need is to be renewed. We all need our minds renewed. If, if you don't think that you need your mind renewed, you're already in that place. We need our minds renewed. You know, there's, there's, there's three kinds of people, right? Three kinds of people that, that need it. Those that are, are on fire for God. In order to stay on fire for God, you have to stay in a place of renewal. It has, God has to make all things new all the time, right? Then somebody who is backslidden and gotten away from God and, you know, they've been in that valley for a long time. They've had time to sit and think about it and realize they're not where they used to be. They know they need renewal. They know they need renewal. But you know who, you know who, you know, you know who thinks they don't need it? When you're in the process of backsliding. When you're in the process of backsliding, nobody can tell you anything. When you're in the process of backsliding, I don't need to pray, I, you know. I don't need to go to that. I don't need to do that. I don't need this, and I don't need that. Don't ask me to do anything. Don't bother me for anything. I'll do what I want to do when I want to. When you're in the process of backsliding, nobody can tell you anything. But once you've gone all the way back into that place of backsliding, and you're, you're down there in that valley, you know you're, then you know you're not where you're supposed to be. You know it. That's when you know you need to be renewed. That's when you know you need it. There's, there's three people. Two of them know they need it. The one's totally in the front, and the one's totally in the back. The one's in the process, they don't. They don't. Now, the thought life is, is what I, wanna, I want you to see. God's desire is to purify and renew the thought life. His desire is to purify and renew the thought life. Thought life is dangerous. If you, if you don't allow God to renew it, if you don't take those thoughts captive, those thoughts can begin to manifest. Those ungodly thoughts can begin to manifest. Now, there's, there's one other passage I want to show you is in Mark chapter 12. We'll close here. Mark chapter 12. Our thoughts. There's times that when, when renewal takes place, God will bring us back to that place of what we call our first love. Our first love means our primary love. 
It, it, it is that which motivates you for your reason for living. If your reason for living is your job, it's bound to fail. If your reason for living is your spouse or your children, it's bound to fail. If, if you look at the life of Job, everything was taken. Everything was taken except for his relationship with God. When his wife said, just curse God and die, he didn't. He didn't. His relationship with God stayed intact. He realized that was the most important thing. Amen? And when God begins to do a work of renewal in us, he'll take us back to this place where he's our first love. That's what we need. And don't think you don't need it. Because that's a dangerous thought. We need God to take us back to our first love. We need God to remind us that without his mercy, without his grace, without his forgiveness, we're not only, you know, little devils, heathen, but on our way to hell. But because of his infinite mercy and grace, he gave us, the whosoever's, an opportunity to receive salvation through faith in his work at Calvary. And when we come back to that place of our first love, he not only, you know, we call it first love, it's primary. He's our primary love. He's everything. Everything else flows from that. The way that I treat people flows from that. Look, when you talk about reasons that you obey commandments, I've seen this so many times in our, our, our world is so carnal. A lot of the church world is too. We don't obey the commandments of God just so things will be better for us. We obey them because he wants us to. It's, it's showing him love and respect and adoration and surrender is that, that primary thing. We don't serve God so we can get a blessing. Maybe he does and maybe he doesn't, but we serve him because he deserves it. Because he asked it, he deserves it. It's one of those things that sometimes we get caught up in doing things for us. Don't let yourself be your primary love. Don't let how things affect you be what motivates you. It has to be God, primarily God. First love. Lord, restore me to that first love. Lord, get me back to that place where I'm, I'm excited and anticipating. I'm, I'm ready to get in the prayer closet. I'm ready to spend time alone with you. I'm ready. Look, when was the last time you spent 20 minutes alone with God and let the oil of God come upon you? And then you came out of that and said, next time I'm spending 30 minutes. You see, when, when, we're, when we're looking at the clock and just counting down the time so we can get up, we're doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong. What would you think about if you had a, a husband or a wife and you were like, okay, we're going to have dinner together. And you're like, I wish that they would hurry up. I want to go home and watch the game. No, come on, are you going to, don't order dessert, I want to get home. 
you would think, well, they're not really interested in spending time with me, right? <clears throat> this is how we treat our prayer life. Our prayer life is indicative of our communing with God. Our intimacy with God is born out of prayer. And if we don't have a prayer life, we don't have intimacy with God. You can have all the book knowledge you want. But without intimacy with God, without that love for God, it's nothing. Knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge puffeth up. So we see that this, there's an important quality that God's looking for, and it's to restore our first love, to restore a heart of worship. That our first and primary desire is to be intimate with God, to commune with him. We're looking, anticipating opportunities to pull away from the crowd like Jesus did. If, if Jesus pulled away from the crowd and went up to the mountain to pray and be intimate with the Father, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? I mean, if, if, if that motivated him, shouldn't it motivate us? Shouldn't it motivate us? So this is why he says in, in, in Mark 12, verse 30, We'll, we'll read verse 29. Jesus, somebody asked Jesus, what, what was the first or primary or greatest commandment? Jesus said, in verse 29, Jesus answered him and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The mind. Having our minds renewed and loving God with our minds is part of the greatest commandment. If we're not willing to, uh, to get in that place where the Holy Spirit renews our mind, we'll never be able to love God right. We'll never be able to love God right. And if we get that part wrong, the other parts will begin to wane. The other parts will begin to dry out. The other parts will begin to get religious instead of relational. We'll begin to get motivated for the applause of men rather than the applause of heaven. We'll begin to please men rather than to please God. We'll begin to take on the appearance of the world rather than the appearance of God. We'll begin to see things from the carnal perspective instead of seeing things from a heavenly perspective. And it all starts in the mind, taking those thoughts captive. And if, and, and, and if you get into that place where you're like, I don't even know, you can just go back to Psalm 139, those last two verses. Say, Lord, search me. I may not know what's what, Lord, but I know this. I can at least open the door of my heart to you. I can at least open the door of my thought life to you. And I can at least welcome you in so that you can examine me, so that you can bring the searchlight of the Holy Spirit and, and help me to see that which I need to get out of. Lead me away from wickedness and lead me into life everlasting, Lord. Only God can do that and God will do that in a surrendered heart. If you're willing to surrender your, your thought life and you're willing to surrender your heart to God today, God will do that in you today and you'll come out of this message with a renewed mind.
Hallelujah.